Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Alex McVeigh, a physio of the Adelaide Crows Football Club, the AFLW side. Alex is also a sport and exercise physiotherapist from Adelaide. He holds a master's in advanced clinic physiotherapy in sports, where he got that from the University of South Australia. He's worked at the Adelaide Crows as a physiotherapist for the past three years across the development space, sample and AFL programs. He also consults clinically with a particular focus on injuries of the lumbo-pelvic hip complex and lower limb area as well as being involved in research projects at the University of South Australia. Before we start episode 45, the Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower athletes and staff with a practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and to subscribe to our podcast. We're on YouTube, iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for joining us, guys. Like every week, feel free to send questions through by hitting the bottom of your screen, that question button, and we'll get to your question later on in about 15 minutes or so. I'm just going to invite Alex to join us now. Bear with me. How you going? Hey, Jack. How you doing? Yeah, going well, mate. Thanks for jumping on. First live chat or you've done this before? No, mate, this is the first, so it's, yeah, all brand oh, new for me. Fantastic. Awesome, mate. Glad to give you your debut. We'll dive straight, we'll dive straight in, mate. Take us Fantastic. back to the beginning. Uh, when did you recognise you had a passion for physiotherapy? I was always like a bit of, I think like a lot of physios that do sport, I guess. I was always like a sporty kid and I played all the, like heaps of different sports as a, when I was growing up. So I was doing basketball and table tennis and did athletics and soccer was probably my main one. So probably when I was... 14, 15, I was really enjoying sports and absolutely loving that. And then when I got to year 11, originally I wanted to be an engineer because my dad's an engineer. But I went and did year 11 special maths and just thought, no way am I doing this for a career. And at the same time I did that, I actually, my brother was doing like a vet course in fitness. And so I joined him just to kind of get out of school. And then just learning about the body and, and everything, it just, I just loved it. So like found it really easy to learn just because it was really fun and could kind of use some of the stuff I was learning to help me in, in my sport. And then, yeah, stop the back of that. I thought, okay, what can I do that, that's a career that's learning about the body and all this cool stuff that I've just learned? And then physio is the next option. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, you, you sporty kid, active. Did you have any significant injuries that you, uh, you had to rehab or anything like that and, and that got you down the medical side or...? The first time I did a good one was when I was 16. I did a, like an ankle sprain. That was my, my first injury. Like the club I was playing for, we had a physio that, yeah, kind of showed me the ropes and how to rehab. And that was kind of my first exposure. And that was fun. It was cool to learn, cool to see how you could heal with a, with a few exercises and be back out there soon enough. And is that where you think you first, like the penny dropped, that that was something you were interested in doing because you saw that physio and what they did with your ankle? 100%. Before that, I didn't even know what, what physio was. I didn't even know it was, a, it was a thing. So having that exposure to then as a kid kind of opened my eyes and said, oh, that's a pretty cool career. That's something I actually wouldn't mind doing. Fantastic. And then when you finished high school, what was your path like there? Did you go straight into uni? Yeah, I was kind of lucky. Probably. So I, I managed to get some OK marks and, and I was able to go straight from school into uni and started the, my, like my bachelor of physio at the uni of SA. Yeah, and I just did the four years there and then, and then once... Yeah, that was finished. Started working in private practice and started doing some stuff with some soccer clubs. Right, okay. And then you were doing your, your hours there. Were you at the soccer club through your master's degree or was that just part of your... Uh, yeah, I started when I was doing my uh, undergrad, working as like a sports trainer for a, a local kind of amateur team. And I was like the only only guy out helping. So it was a lot of like taping. And when you're a, like a student, they think, oh, you're qualified. So they'd ask me for advice and, on injuries and I really had no idea what I was doing, but... 
have a crack and awesome way to learn and start to see stuff that you you wouldn't necessarily get in your undergrad a lot of your, your physio stuff is there's sports is one side of it and your musculoskeletal but you've also learning neuro and hospital this other stuff yeah so yeah so i did that as i was as i was learning and then once i graduated i, I went and actually got a job for like a local soccer team here in the, the national premier league and i was like their physio for a year kind of Looking a bit more over like the program, but not not a whole bunch. Mainly just doing the same thing, just seeing lots of injuries and, and helping them get them ready for the for the weekend. But it was a really good kind of place to start because you get the experience of seeing lots of acute injuries and other stuff that in private practice I wasn't seeing a lot of. Yeah, okay. So you sort of you're getting that repetition of injuries and how to rehab them and, and diagnose and I imagine like any skill set you need a volume to bank up. And and make mistakes as well. Like a lot of it, I reckon if I look back now, I think, oh, geez, man, you definitely do it differently, but you learn, like I learn a lot from it. Yeah, it was great. Fantastic. And so, yeah, so soccer makes sense for you playing soccer yourself. You understand the game. You understand the nuances of the sport. How did you then go from soccer to football? How did, how did that come about? Was that through a connection you knew? Was that through uni? Yeah, so that was, so when I was, I've been for a couple of years in private practice and I got to a point where I, I felt like I just wanted to, almost like hit a bit of a ceiling and I just wanted to learn a bit more. Mm-hmm. So I went and did a, started a master's in sports physio. And at the same time I did that, I got a job at a, a good clinic here in Adelaide, Steve Saunders. What's also he happened to be the head of high performance at North Melbourne at the time. And then, yeah, kind of when I was doing that, I got another job for another club and I was, I guess, a bit more of a, like a head of performance type of role as well as the physio. So I was doing all the session RPE stuff, tracking loads, doing the recovery, doing the rehab, kind of getting okay. a bit of crunching, making these big spreadsheets on Excel and crunching. Of, yeah, almost like a bit of a sports science type of side to it as well. And then, yeah, so something off the back of that must have impressed Steve because then when he's gone and got a job at Adelaide, he's asked me to come with him and, and help him out. Yeah, when he started there. So that was in 2018. Fantastic. And what was your role with him in, at the Adelaide Crows then? Yes, I was a physio, so my main responsibilities were to look after the, like, the coming for treatment for the, on the, the main training days for the boys. Particularly, I was probably more in charge of looking at the first uh, three year players, um, but still doing some work with some of the senior guys, whatever kind of came up. And then I was in charge of the SNFL development squad program and, and the rehab for, for that group. And then, also, a lot of our, like, some of our monitoring systems and, and stuff like that, we just implemented a kind of responsibility to, to look after some of the screening data and kind of present that back to the team and crunch numbers there. Awesome. So where did the skill set of the sports science sort of load monitoring come in? Is that through your own passion and as, yeah, through your experiences as you go? Or was that part of the degree in, in the master's no, program? We didn't really get any of that in the master's. The master's was a lot of more kind of clinical reasoning and your hands-on skills, but... A lot of it was just kind of initially was just through listening to podcasts and just an interest in, in tracking that kind of stuff. And at the time, there was lots of research coming out about acute chronic workloads, and that was kind of the real buzz thing. And then, yeah, I just managed to stumble across a couple of good YouTube pages, really, and they had some good, uh, good videos and tutorials on how to build a spreadsheet, build a database. So I kind of took that and um, kind of just tweak it a little bit and, and make it make it my own. Awesome. With the team, yeah. yeah. And is, was that a full-time role where you're working with the senior boys and then also – Sample club as well? No, I was part-time. So I was there. So it would have been about kind of 25 hours a week. So I was doing that coming in mainly for half days. And then the SNFL, like we've got like a top-up kind of squad. That would be in the nights. So I'd, I'd do, say, afternoon and a night with the Crows. And then I'd be uh, working in the clinic seeing, seeing patients. As well. Yeah, right. Big weeks. 
Mate, they were huge. I'm looking at the back of the season and you go like, all right, I need an off-season as much as the, the boys do, you know, but I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. And then um, have you had along your way, along this sort of journey, have you had strong influences? You mentioned Steve Saunders. I mentioned he's had an impact on your career. Are there other people that mentored you or, or helped you along the way? Yeah, like heaps and heaps. So like during my master's, we had some some of the, the teachers I had. So one of the guys, Mark Jones, was a big mentor. He's, he's, I guess, probably best known for some of the clinical reasoning and getting your thought processes right and trying to understand the the different kind of all different elements that can come into someone's presentation. So he was he was a big mentor. Doctor. In terms of diagnosis, is that what you mean? With the- yeah, diagnosis and, and getting yeah, just getting a good snapshot of the person that you're in front of and all the contributing factors that they can present with. And then how that that then influences your treatment and your rehab and all that. And then the like the club doctors have been great as well. Like the head doctor here has been a really good mentor. He's, he's taught me lots of lots of cool stuff and images and the kind of the quirky things that come up and and then some of the the other things that the, the doctor graders like when to like when to get scanned, when to get an injection, those type of things. Sure. Awesome. Okay. And then so that was your role for what a couple of years at Adelaide before going into AFLW. Yeah, so right. I did it for two years, and then once COVID happened last year, I was, I was one of one of the the many that um got kind of made redundant as the the budget cuts kind of came in, and then yeah, then shortly after that, the club approached me and said, "Oh, would, would you like to take the AFLW program and and look after that instead?" So I said, yeah, "Sure thing." Yeah, so I started doing that, like working with all the girls in the off season, which would have been around about this time last year until uh, yeah, until just recently. Fantastic. And what what differences have you noticed? work with female footballers compared to men in the demands of the game? Probably the first thing is that they're all part-time. So the the women's game is still building. So they don't have the, the budgets and the resources just yet to be full-time athletes like the, the men are. But the yeah. expectation is almost that they are. Like we, we still give them lots of training to do and they're expected to kind of do outside of outside of the club and do additional upper body training or cross training or, or something like that. So that, that's probably the, one of the tricky things is trying to – balance that demand but then they've also got work lives we have girls that some of them are shift workers so they'll go to they'll train with us at in the night time and then go straight and do a, a 10-hour shift at the hospital and then uh, finish there okay. 10 o'clock the next morning or other girls that that, uh, that start work at four in the morning so mm-hmm. we're just just learning to be flexible and recovery is not super important Getting in the ice bath for them and just go home, have as much sleep as you can and have a good feed and don't stress too much about the uh, the little things. Yeah, yeah, which is um, really important, isn't it? Focusing on your big rocks, so to speak, rather than just getting caught up with all the little things. Imagine um, even more important when you've got uh, more demands outside of the game and your training schedule, you're putting energy into what's really important. Is that a constant battle with who gets time with the athletes? Uh, yeah, 100%. Like, it's tricky. There's, I suppose there's kind of the, like, the optimal what we'd like to do if we had all the time in the world. But even that can be with the, the S&C coaches and the, the guys pre-training because some of the girls will come straight from their full-time job. They've maybe got 30 minutes to get from work finishing to the club to us on the oval in, in 15 minutes when they get there. So we can't, we don't have that opportunity to get a little dose of training in there. So it's just trying to bring it back to what's the big things that matter and then how can we squeeze it in around your schedule? So that might be those people. Sometimes they can do a little bit extra in the preseason on Saturday morning, or if they have to do something on Tuesday morning, non-supervised, if they're up to it. And just kind of getting creative. Sometimes we sneak it in 
in the, some of their gym programs, there's a bit of neck strength. We'll get them to do, like, we had a few girls with, they were having some uh, like like headaches coming from the neck and some having some neck issues. So we'd uh, squeeze in some neck strength in by doing uh, ring rows where they're kind of in a, like a craniosphacal flexion position. Try and just like sneak it in a bit so that it doesn't have to be a separate thing. Yeah, adding in more reps, you're just doing things with a slightly different length. Yeah. That's awesome. And what's your role there, a head physio? Yeah, so we're in the in the AFW program, we just got the one. So I guess I'm I guess I'm head physio. I don't tend to call myself the head physio, but it's on on the physio for the team. Uh, and then we've got a we've got a, like a strength coach, uh, a sports scientist. So there's probably the three of us as the main high performance department, and then a, a club doctor kind of supports us and podiatrist and nutritionist around that. Yeah, and are you working closely with the sports scientists? Because I know that you mentioned that's an area that you're passionate about, the load monitoring side of things. Is that something you're still involved in? Yeah, oh, not not so much at the moment. Like, I'm um, still kind of checking numbers and chasing numbers and that kind of thing, and just keeping an eye on of it. But our sports science Grace is really good. She's all over that, so she doesn't need need me kind of peering over her shoulder. We've got a lot of work to do. But for me, it's more now would be just using that data to plan rehab and plan loads and make sure the the speed progressions that we plan for are actually delivered and, and keep it up to that up to date with that. And then I work really close with the S&C coach, Josh. Me and, me and him are always uh, talking together. I think I think a good high-performance department, your, your physios and the S&C coaches should be best mates. There, yeah. there's, it, it's not really independent. I think there's a continuum there. That injury prevention and performance is really the same thing. It's uh, Yeah, moving well and, and understanding load management. If you're preventing injuries and you're going to feel pretty fresh and fit going into a game, aren't you? Yeah, what about for developing footballers? You've done it at the sample level. You've done it with the first and second year boys at AFL level as well as seen now with the girls. So exposure to all different types of footballers for, that are developing. Are there, are there key focuses that you, for those listening to this podcast uh, that you think are really important? Yeah, I, I think from a physical point of view, it's probably the mistakes I guess I see is chasing the shiny stuff too soon. So going to everyone wants to be faster, everyone wants to be more powerful, but you need to build the base first. So some of the stuff I see with guys is that the strength endurance, uh, the the muscle size, the kind of the work capacity stuff is missing and there's a push too soon to go into really heavy, really lots of triple extension focused movements. Um, with maybe an over-focus on that is probably something, whereas to build a really robust footy player, which would be the kind of the goal in the first few years, you have to consider strengthening your body in the sagittal plane. So, so going sideways and doing movements in rotation and also getting uh, strength like anteriorly through your hip flexors and your groins and having as much of a focus on those areas as, as it is getting strong glutes and quads and hamstrings. Gotcha. And what would be an example like of some movements that you think people are doing, potentially doing too much of that are shiny and that you'd like to see more of your Oh, I, I think there's just tends to be a lot of triple extension is the only movement in a program. It's probably the main thing. So, so you see classically, you might see a guy do a trap bar deadlift, which is it's a really good exercise. I like it. But trap bar, deadlift, a sled push, uh, a box jump, so something like that, say. And that's the program where maybe a more rounded program is going to have some calf strengthening that maybe that you're going to do like a, a lateral sled pull to develop some strength through the abductors in a sagittal plane some isolated hip flexor work so you've got some really good strength and capacity anteriorly that kind of stuff so just mixing it up so it's not all the just the one movement all the time yeah that's great that's great advice uh, and like you said it's not always the fancy sort of shiny stuff but doing your, your basics um, really well it's so important and the earlier you start the, be- the better you're going to be down the track
Hundred percent. And I think that's the thing. Seeing the the really good pros do well is that that they get the basics done really well and they enjoy the process as well. It can be sometimes it can be a bit of a grind when you've got uh, like maybe not super. It's a bit more boring. It's a bit more monotonous. But there's a point to it, and if you can kind of see the enjoyment in the process of doing it, because you know the the long term outcome is going to be, they seem to, like they seem to be the thing that they uh, tend to do or, or the habits that they get into. Fantastic. That actually flows onto the next question, into not just individuals but teams, um, successful teams as well, both soccer, football, successful teams that you've seen. Is there a common mindset or culture that you, you've noticed? Uh, I think as definitely well as individuals. Yeah. I think with teams, there's a, the group as a collective buys into the same goal. Everyone's kind of going the same way and that they're enjoying the, the process of doing it. Like, but maybe not always enjoying it because sometimes it's tough. Sometimes, you know, if you're in the middle of preseason and you're doing your conditioning block, they're not particularly fun, but everybody does it together and bands together. There's that kind of part of culture. And there's also yeah. the good teams, I think as well, have a really good, healthy sense of competition where guys are trying to beat the other guys. So they both get better. That's probably in the characters I've seen, seen a bit. And then with the true, like the really good players, they just have supreme confidence. So if they don't, if they make a couple of mistakes, kick a couple of bad ones, their, their ability to not let it get to them, not, not let it get into their head and just have confidence that they'll be able to execute their skills the next time they get it seems to be what kind of separates them from some other players who maybe aren't as, aren't as great. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. That's some clear, clear, um, really important sort of like we were talking about before, the basics of, of performance working together as a collective, like for team sports, that's got to be at the top of the tree for the most important thing. If everyone's doing their own thing and own agenda, um, probably not going to work as a unit very well. And then, yeah, the, especially with long competitive pre-seasons, like, like you mentioned, uh, it can be quite healthy to have that competition kind of internally for that period because that is your competition for quite a while you're not going to play a team for, for a period of time so yeah yeah that's it and it pushes people i think a bit of pressure and, and competition me and you're working together you're working just as hard as i am and i've got to i've got to bring my a game to training it's only good for the team we've had a question sent, sent through from one of the people watching lucas wait this is a tricky one ways to heal a hamstring faster he might be managing a sore hammy by the sense of it oh, like yeah. yeah yeah well first of all, they get some help with some professionals so they can guide you i think with rehab it's got to come down to knowing your kind of goals for each stage that you're in so if you're in the early stages knowing when to start your strengthening work when you can start to, to kind of run fast that type of thing but i was giving some practical stuff i'd just say start loading if you can start as long as it's not a tendon that's a involved you can generally go to some longer muscle lengths early try and strengthen there and then Make sure you've got sufficient strength before you really go fast. Awesome, mate. Thank you. I'm sure that's a massive help. And the, the is there things that you've seen at time, like whether it be hamstring strains or, or groin injuries, whatever it might be, that you've seen a lot of change in the way things are dealt with in terms of management? I think hamstrings definitely. Like I think we're a lot more aggressive and confident to be aggressive now, but also knowing when to, to not be. So I think some of the research that's come out with intramuscular tendon injuries and and the difference of them say like a normal muscular tendon junction uh, that's been a big game changer so knowing that you can push as long as you can go uh, a lot more aggressive and try and get longer early and do some of that eccentric work early that's been good at getting people back early but also getting them back and having less of an injury risk groin is a bit the same as well i think we've probably got a better understanding of the biomechanics around the groin and how to push groins on a bit and not as much when I first started 
there's probably a little bit of fear with groin injuries. Uh, the old osteitis pubis that, you know, you need rest and, and some of those passive things being the main treatment standards, whereas now strengthening and getting like the appropriate control around your hip is much more of a focus. Fantastic. And that's something that you've, like as Steve Saunders, helped you along your way or that's something you've just progressed through your research and applying and application? Oh, 100%, 100% with Steve. Like it's like as well as reading stuff, but one of the really cool things when I started working with Steve is that we'd get footy players from other clubs that'd come and see him for a, for a second opinion or they'd, they'd come from NRL or basketball. We've Normally, it's a population where they're not the normal groin that they because there's good people at clubs that are doing really good work and it just the standard stuff hasn't helped. So I've been able to sit in with him and, and have a look at delving a bit deeper and checking some other kind of loading, ways to load and, and focus on um, slightly different areas to, to be able to improve strength and see how quickly that can come back sometimes it's been a really really cool way to uh, way to learn yeah fantastic especially complex yeah. cases that you said that aren't traditional but like they're not presenting as classic cases and like you said there's experts in there that have, have tried all the maybe the research or the basic things that normally would do work and they don't and being able to see how an expert pivots and does things differently in that moment that, that must be massive yeah it's just been fantastic and then taking like the, the cool thing when I, when I started working with steve there is i was working in the soccer club as well so I'd, I'd learn those some of those things and then be able to apply it myself and give it a crack and, and see some nice results you know treating in that way as well yeah and you mentioned the connection of physios and snc's i mean that's something i've certainly noticed from the snc side of things that is so great about footy clubs is that we do work as a unit and you you, you know each are learning off each other which is a great thing it's really good for the athlete as well because you're getting a lot more of the whole picture do you find that the is that in the private sector it's different when you're working with clinics when you haven't got an SNC there and you're having to take on some of that or you might be communicating with someone that you're not actually working with? Uh, is it harder or is it still? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not as easy as working like like in the at the club. I pretty much sat opposite the SNC coach. So in, in our little office, so, you know, that's like such a really cool environment to, to be collaborative because you're, you're only, uh, you're right next to them. Whereas in the, in the private practice, I think most of the things for physios, we're getting better at knowing about strength and conditioning. So you can talk the same language when you're talking to an SNC coach about where they're at in their rehab phase, type of loading is going to be, be best for them. If it's, if it's more capacity work or strength work or power work or whatever it is. So. But yeah, that's you got to do that via email or, or get on the phone and call them. But generally, you know what I found is that once you you do that a few times, a lot of times the, the gym owners and the personal trainers and the S and C coaches love it because they they know that you can like in physio now we're I think we're better at working around an injury rather than saying that nah, you got to rest. We go okay, nah, you've got that sore knee, but you can smash up a body, you can smash your training, and you can still work on your calf and all these other things. Yeah, and it's it's a easy way to start to work, to work together. Fantastic, mate. You're much longer. We've got one last question from someone that's watching, Kieran. Uh, best yeah. preventions for shin splints, he's put in brackets, stretching, says stealing. I imagine that's strengthening, that's my guess. But what's your best preventions for, for shin splints? Yeah, so I think with shin splints, you need a probably the load is one of the big things. How quickly have you ramped up, um, making sure that it's a nice, nice kind of clever progression. You're not doing too hard too soon. I think some of the running surfaces that you're on are important. And then just making sure you've got enough capacity in your calf and through the front of the shin to, to cope with some of the loads that it's going to put it in, kind of tolerate. But so, so maybe more on the strengthening side than the stretching, but, you know, stretching is going to help you as well. Good to have good mobility if you've got a stiff foot. For those that don't understand, like understanding their loads and how to monitor their loads, what would be a simple way 
for someone to monitor to progress their running loads over time? So, so running loads, I guess, is your kind of the, the speed and volume of running that you're doing. So as a kind of a general rule, you, you wouldn't want to go too hard into really fast running if you haven't done a lot of fast running. And you wouldn't want to go into doing lots of big volumes of, of running, so lots of distance, without having done a lot of distance beforehand. So as a general rule, you, you kind of use a bit of like a 20% rule to 10% rule, um, which is to not do big jumps of more than, say, 20% in your training for a few weeks. And also to progress the volume of running at one speed before progressing the speed. And that's the general heuristic. You can change it a little bit depending on the person and the, and the case, but generally that kind of keeps you out of trouble. Fantastic. When, when in doubt, go a little bit slower in yeah, your progression. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with what are you most excited for 2021? What's on the horizon for Alex this year? Yeah. One of the, one of the things over the, the kind of the journey working with Steve is we've always had this kind of call to, to, to come to Melbourne and do a bit of work over there. So we're actually going to be setting up a, a clinic together in, in Melbourne, in Middle Park. Um, oh, wow, in the coming weeks. great spot. Yeah, which should be exciting. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get over there and start helping some of the good people in Melbourne and, and checking out some of the some of the athletes coming through. So that will be like a, another Steve Saunders physio clinic, physiotherapy space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're going to do it together in Middle Park. And that means you'll be moving to Melbourne or? What yeah, you? so I'm going, to, I'm going to move into Melbourne. So I'm actually finishing up here the, um, the Crows. So the, the grand final is my last, yeah, last match. We didn't quite get the win. But that's that sport. Yeah, and then I'll be moving over to Melbourne in a week to, to start the clinic there. Oh, fantastic, mate. Well, we'll have to catch up in the real flesh. That'll be good, mate. The big smoke. Yep. So that's a great suburb to be uh, setting up a clinic. Yeah, no, I'll take you up on that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, Alex. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your experiences, your journey, uh, what's worked, what you know, your learnings you had along the way. Um, I think whether you're developing physio, S&C, sports scientists or footballer you'll get a lot out of listening to this podcast so if you missed the start or you've only just joined us late make sure to head over to our IGTV and check it out and we'll post it on our podcast in the coming weeks so thanks for joining us Alex we'll see you very soon when you settle in thanks mate awesome Alex catch you mate thank you for listening make sure if you enjoyed this episode to join over a thousand people by subscribing to our website the link is in our bio and you'll receive a free strength conditioning program if you want to work with one of our AFL strength conditioning coaches, also click the link in our bio. You can check out our coaches there and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Spotify, iTunes and YouTube. Thanks, everyone.